I want this morning to turn you to a text in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 13. May the Lord who is to be our counselor, whose name is inclusive of that meaning of counselor in uh, the Gospel in Isaiah, chapter 9, may he be pleased to be our teacher by his spirit, and that we would listen to him, that God would draw our hearts out from the distractions of this world that are so very many, and grant us a hearing, a receiving of his word. In the 13th chapter of Luke, and beginning our reading at verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up, and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without, and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. Very instructive when you read our Lord's responses to certain questions like here. In this particular context, he didn't answer that about the few. He puts the responsibility over upon the one who asked it and those who were hearing him. His heart was toward them and their condition, knowing the solemn reality of man's condition in sin and uh, the need that man really does have, his greatest need. And so he addresses with the charge, strive to enter in. How many are going to be saved? That's in God's hands. But here is human responsibility. Strive to enter in. In Matthew chapter 7, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ does mention the reality that there are only relatively few who will be saved out of this fallen world. When he says, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat, because straight is the gate, 
narrows the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. That puts us upon a solemnity of giving heed to him and to the word of God. These things have a problem. No, it's not a problem with what the Lord taught. It's not a problem with divine inspiration and the word of God that we have. It's a problem with those who hold what we might call a convenient view of salvation. This is the view of salvation that requires no real repentance from sin. It requires no real break from the world. No self-denial. No true yieldedness to Christ as Lord. All this view requires is an intellectual or emotional response to the facts of the gospel. La la, you're saved. You but acknowledge, you but go through this particular motion, you but say this particular prayer, you're saved. Problem here with that kind of shallow gospel. The problem with this world accommodating view, if you please, of salvation is that it leaves one to follow the same self-centered, sinful course they did before they professed to know the Lord Jesus Christ. The same self-centered life in the world, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ says, if you keep your life in this world, what will happen? You'll lose it. If you lose your life for his sake, he says he will keep it. Or you will keep it. Demons believe the facts of the gospel. Demons acknowledge that Christ is the Holy One of God. They know that he died and rose again from the dead. And they live in the fear of his awesome power. James could write in James 2.19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Solemn teaching there. Those who rest on some past profession of faith, something they think they have done, or some experience they imagine to have happened to them, some prescribed prayer, or feeling that thinks, well, if they pray this prayer, then they'll be able to go to heaven. But do not now live unto Christ, nor by the faith of the Son of God. Do not pursue a life that's consecrated to him alone. They're fooling themselves. I fear that's much of what takes place now in so-called evangelical or fundamental Christianity. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Salvation is not a one-time past experience. Biblically, it comprehends the grace of God working within, in the past, in the present, and the future. 
It involves that wondrous justification through faith in Christ alone we heard about this morning. It involves also the work of God in the one who has been begotten of God and justified through faith in Christ in a present sense of God's working in them. It is consummated, completed, when Christ comes in glory and gathers all of his saints unto himself. Salvation is comprehensive in Scripture. It comprehends all of these things. There are those who could tell you the exact time they came to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The term that when they got saved, they can point to the minute, to the day, to the hour. And yet their lives, their present looking to Christ and their consecration to him, that is their daily seeking of him and living unto him and for his glory, that shows something different. There are those who couldn't tell you the exact moment or the time. There are those who couldn't know exactly the day or tell you of the day. But now every day they look to Christ. Every day they seek Him. Their desires are toward Him. They live unto Him. That bespeaks far more of a real new birth than one who simply professes but follows the course of this world. The Lord never preached what is sometimes termed easy believism. An intellectual or emotional response to the gospel to quell a guilty conscience. Conscience is a solemn thing. Conscience when it condemns one under the ministry of the word of God, sometimes that's what one desires to be quelled, just to be free from that condemning conscience. Or relieved of the fear of eternal punishment. Or believing that because they have done something or have experienced something, that then they can go to heaven. Heaven is set forth as the thing they should be seeking many times. And it's a solemn thing, not the gospel that we have in Scripture. The messages of the Lord Jesus Christ, such as count the cost, are shunned, not heard. The only ones who will truly abandon self by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone are those who value him and eternity with him above everything else, including their own life in this world. To be sure in regard to our present passages, the end to be reached will be determined by the beginning. You have to begin right if you're going to end right. 
But the beginning also determines the, the path, the way one is going to live. The course of life into which they enter. That is quite different, radically different than before the coming. By the grace of God to know the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you get on the way? How do you get onto the path that leads to eternal life? You know, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks here as a friend. A friend will tell you the truth. Might not always be easily received at the time. Might be difficult to hear at the time. But a friend will tell you the truth. A friend cares more for you and for your condition than simply getting along with you. They care about you. Your best friend will tell you the truth. Correct? They'll do it if it temporarily causes some problem in that relationship because they care about you and they want to see something corrected that's there dangerous for you. There's no friend greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. None. Listen to him as one who truly wants you to be on the way. One who wants you to be on that way that leads unto life. Eternal life. To begin with, we're to give the more earnest heed to him whose name is wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. You must believe him, receive him, and trust him in what he says as absolute truth with absolutely unavoidable consequences. He who says, I am the way, is the only one who can show you that way which leads all the way into the eternal bliss and joy of the forever presence of the living God. I can't imagine that. Sometimes I'm almost afraid to try to imagine that. We, we can't comprehend what will come in the future. I remember as a little boy, I used to think when we would go to a family situation, uh, when the family would gather sometimes, and most of my family lived in a place called North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, in a kind of a mountainous, beautiful region. I used to go there and think that must be what heaven must look like. That must be what it must be in that day. I used to think those things when I was a little boy. But now I realize nothing would mean anything unless our Lord's there. Unless our blessed Savior is there. He... The Lord Jesus Christ has cut the path. The path is already cut by him. He's removed a huge pediment that would keep you from this path. It's called the path of the just in Proverbs 4.18. 
And apart from him, you could never find this straight gate, much less enter it. And of course he says, there are few who find it. There are two ways, there are two paths, not a third, two paths set forth. Neither a combination of the two. You can only be on one of these two paths. You can't be on two paths at once. You're on one of these two paths. I'm on one of these two paths. The Son of God is calling. Christ is calling. The Son of the living God. And the issue is critical. We live in such an apathetic day that people think, well, they can think about anything else and their hearts and their desires can be anywhere else and go through a religious duty, come to a church service, leave and be no different than when they came. But this issue is critical. There are two differing paths of life. They go in two different directions. They end in two differing destinations. One path is far less traveled. It's traveled by relatively few. It's a difficult path. But this path ends in eternal life. The other path is traveled by many. The mass, vast majority find it an easy path. Seems right to a man. But it ends in eternal destruction. This divine counselor, whose name is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. The friend to whom you must give the greatest heed and listen to him. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. The issue is crucial. Because where you enter determines where you're going to end. The beginning is absolutely the most crucial point here. How you enter. How you get on this path that brings in the world to come eternal life as well as that life now, that life begun. It is crucial. The charge is that you're to enter in at the straight gate. And all the rest is explanation as to why you should end 
the right way if you begin the right way. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Those are solemn words. The path that is entered by the straight gate puts one on the only path that ends in eternal life. It's a narrow path. It's a very restricted path. So narrow that it only allows one to enter at a time. It admits one at a time through it. While the wide and broad path is easily entered by the multitude, by the many. You remember the Lord Jesus says in the day of judgment, many, not a few, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, done wonderful works, cast out demons, etc.? That's a solemn day this coming. Many. Remember the Apostle Peter speaking of the false prophets and those who give the right or the wrong way, the easy way, the easy path, the pride-exalting path of religion, the works path, you know what he says? There are many that follow them. Many. Many that follow them. If you would enter this straight gate, you must be willing to do so if it's all by yourself. If you're alone. If no one else follows you. You'll have to be willing to leave kin, friends, and acquaintances who are on the wide road to destruction. The Lord Jesus meant no words. In Matthew 10, he says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Well, what's he talking about? What am I talking about when I say you have to be willing to leave kin and friends and acquaintances? not a physical departure. It's a spiritual departure. Oh yeah, you'll still care for them. You'll still want them to come to know the Lord of glory. As a matter of fact, that will become a driving desire in your heart that your family, your kin, your acquaintances come to know the one you've come to know. That they be saved by God's grace. But there's a spiritual departure. That is, there is a willingness to go in a completely different way than do they, or did you, before you entered into this straight gate. You'll have to be willing to be misunderstood. Sometimes maligned. You'll have to be willing to be viewed as odd and different. 
which you will be. If you truly enter into this straight gate, the Lord Jesus says to those to whom he says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. He says to them in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. To be in his kingdom is to be at odds with the kingdom of the wicked one. And these two spiritual kingdoms are in this world. It's a sad thing, but when one by God's grace is saved, they can be in a household with those who are in the kingdom of Satan while they are in the kingdom of God. It will bring conflict. It will bring difficulties. But once you're truly on the narrow way which leadeth unto life, you'll find that what you must count as loss when you enter the straight gate will be overshadowed by the far greater gain that has become yours. The Apostle Peter, as he did often, speaks on behalf of the twelve. And in a passage as in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Lord, we've left all to follow thee. They did. They left their business. They left their family. They left their ease in this life. They left the things that were delightful to them in the world. They left what they'd gained in the world. We've left all to follow thee. The Lord says, No man has left house or brethren or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels. He shall receive an hundredfold now in this present time. Houses and brethren and children, and mothers and sons and daughters, etc. And lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. Oh yeah. We lose everything to gain everything. We heard about the justification of Abraham this morning. God called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He had to leave his familiar surroundings. He had to leave his family. He had to leave what he had in this world and what he gained in this world. Believe God and go to a place he didn't know where he was going. He was called to a completely different life than what he had in Ur of the Chaldees. I wonder how many come to realize that if they lose their life in this world. They're not the losers. They're the gainers. They've gained everything. I think of a statement sometimes, you know, you pick up little pithy statements that somebody says, preacher says, and sometimes I'll hear those little pithy statements and they say, hey, yeah, that, that'll stick in my mind. Many years ago, I heard an old preacher, he's now with the Lord, been, been with the Lord many, many years now. 
If we have Christ, we have all. If we have not Christ, we have nothing at all. And that's true. That rings true. That's the reality. Once in truly coming to Christ, once in believing Him, coming to Him, trusting Him, then by grace, by faith, obeying Him, it will be in turning your back upon sin, turning your back upon this world of sin, turning your back upon your former self, your former life in sin, finding Him to be your everything, all and all, in Christ. It will be to see yourself as a sinner, defiled, undone. Sometimes when one initially is brought to see themselves as a sinner and they begin to realize this is horrendous, I've sinned against the God who is absolutely holy and just and good. He doesn't wink at sin. Guilty am I. See yourself as a sinner. And you come to realize that death is your merited portion. Death is what we merit by sin. The wages of sin is death. But you come to refuse any claim of any righteousness of your own. Many, like this poor sinner, when brought under that convicting work, tried to do better. Now I'm going to do better. Didn't last. Didn't last very long. Until brought to realize, no, nothing I could ever do. I can't change myself. I can't make myself righteous. But God gave his son to save poor sinners like me. He died on the cross to save sinners like me. Well, I was just a little boy. <laughs> and sometimes we don't have full theological knowledge <laughs> when we're kids. But I knew as a sinner, and I knew Christ was the Savior. And I knew that God gave him. And God said, believe on him, and you'll have eternal life. And the work that God did was a reality. Even though I didn't know much. How many of you when you came to Christ were theologians? Oh, nobody. How many came to Christ as sinners? Yeah, that's what I thought. Christ Jesus came into the world to save those who've gained enough knowledge to know all the truth of God's word. No. He came into the world to save sinners. He came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Blessed is the day when refusing to claim any righteousness of your own at all, you're willing to trust only in Christ who died on that old Roman cross, bearing the sins of many. 
whom God raised from the dead the third day, who now stretches out his call to you and bids you come. When he is known, when this salvation is known, when he becomes your righteousness in truth, all you've lost yourself to him is nothing in comparison to what you gain. Paul could say, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The Lord Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Once you enter this straight gate by faith alone, then you'll find yourself on a different path. You'll find yourself on the highway to holiness or the highway of holiness. You'll be traveling the king's highway. You'll be going a different way than you did before coming to him. You'll be heading toward the celestial city, if you please, with the many trials and temptations that are in the way. Yet <laughs> you're on the path that ends in life eternal. But you'll not be traveling this way alone. No, you can never be alone. Oh, yeah, there might be times you're going to be lonely on this path. There are going to be times you think, well, my family doesn't even understand me. You're going to have times when you think, my co-workers don't understand me, and that's not bad. Many times when there will be those who say, hey, that's too difficult for you. No, there's a better way. Yeah, it can be lonely on this path. There can be times of real loneliness on this path. But you know something that's blessed? If you're on this path, you can never be alone. You can never be alone. You see, you'll be traveling with the king. You won't be alone because the king himself will be with you. Even when you don't sense it, even when you don't know it. Still, he's there. He didn't say, I'll be with you as long as you do everything that I think you ought to do exactly perfectly. He wouldn't be with us at all if that was the case. When does he say he will forsake us? 
When does he say he will leave us? I will what? Never leave thee. Nor forsake thee. What about when we, we fight with doubts and fears and hard things and we live in a world that's horrendous and we go through trials and difficulties. We see our loved ones hurt. Sometimes the Lord might even take them. If they're in Christ, they're far better off than you are here. <laughs> Yet the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what flesh shall do unto me. You see, he accompanies you all the way if you're on this path. You're on the king's highway. You're on the path with him. And once you reach the end of the way, you'll realize it was all his grace. His grace only. His grace alone. He opened the gate for you. He cleared the path for you. He led you all the way. And all will end to the praise of the glory of his grace. Let's think about this gate. The only gateway to life. This gate is very narrow. So narrow is this great gate. That's the things you cannot bring with you. You can't go through the gate and bring certain things with you. You can't go through the gate and bring anything with you. It's narrow. It's restricted. This gateway is so narrow. It is so restricted that it only allows one through at a time. Only one can go through at a time. And those who go through it, they can't bring any baggage whatsoever. They can't pack up their bags and say, well, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to know the Lord of glory and be his and belong to him and know that I have life eternal and know that I'm going to heaven. But there are certain things, you know, I've got to bring with me on this path. No, you can't bring any baggage with you. You have to leave the world behind. If you're going through this gate, you've got to leave the world behind. You've got to be no longer of it to follow the path that's opened before you. The only way which leadeth unto life. You must forsake the way of the transgressor that's followed by the majority. You cannot bring the crowd with you, nor those of it, be they friend or kin, and be willing to enter the straight gate alone. You are part of this crowd you found your delights in the world. 
You lived like everybody else on the broad way to destruction. But now you're to leave all behind. What piercing words the Lord spoke in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Whosoever of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Solemn words. Though still living in the world, you must become different from it. You must forsake its ways. Go in a different way. In the way of truth. Living now for another. Not for yourself. To Christ. The Lord of glory. If we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. Well, if he tarries, you're going to die. One day, it's going to come down to everything you have in this world. doesn't mean a thing. Whatever you acquired in this world means nothing. You're going to leave it. It's going to be all left behind. You came into this world with nothing, guess what you're going to carry out? Nothing. It's going to come down to the realization you're going to stand before the living God. The crucial matter is whether you know God in Christ and truly belong to him. And can say when that time comes. Whether I live, I live unto the Lord. And whether I die, I die unto the Lord. Whether I live or die, I am the Lord's. That's the only person who can have genuine peace in their heart. When the time comes to leave the world. You must now become exceptional. Distinct. Living under the rule of a kingdom the world cannot see. By faith and in subjection to him who said my kingdom is not of this world. And like him whom you follow. You must not expect the world to love you. Living different from it. Distinct in your life in it that will expose you to the world's enmity if you live under God in this world it will be known it will stick out it will be different this does not mean you segregate yourself from the world but that you forsake the way of the world you live in a different way and you realize it's the way of the cross that leads home. Is it any marvel then that this straight gate admits no worldly baggage that only a few find it? Only a few find this straight gate enter it 
and walk the path of life. This straight gate is so narrow, it is so restrictive, allowing no baggage from the world, but there's something else that you have to leave behind if you enter it. Oh yeah, sometimes sounds a bit strange. But if you're going to enter this way, you're going to walk this path. You can't bring the baggage of the world. You can't bring the baggage of sin. You cannot even bring yourself. Whoa, pastor. Have you lost your mind? No. I do want to lose myself and be found only in Christ. You have to leave yourself behind. I tell you, there are few that find it. You cannot enter this gate by the life in which you came into this world. You can't enter it by natural life. It can only be entered by those who have a new life. Those who have a new birth. You were born into this world as a sinner. It was part of you. You read about sin in the, the, the epistle to the Ephesians. Certain sinful acts are likened to parts of the body. You were enamored by it. It was throughout you. From head to toe. When you were born into this world. One of the most horrendous pictures of sin. Is given in Isaiah chapter 1. Verses I think it's 5 and 6. The whole head is sick. And the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot. Even under the head. There's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. That's a picture of the sinner. You might have been healthy as far as natural health when you came into this world. But you were spiritually defiled and sinful and dead. That's a solemn thing. Sin was in you, permeated. You don't believe it? Just give the child a little time and you'll find out. Born a sinner. You were born going away from God. You weren't born into this world innocent. You didn't come into this world a blank slate. It was written on both sides. In rebellion against God. You were going in the broad way. You were heading toward destruction. And this self that came into the world cannot go into the straight gate. It cannot travel the narrow way. You are a child of wrath, even as others, as Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Then you must see the death of Christ as the death of your old self. You must die with him. You must look to and realize and embrace the reality that the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is your only hope. 
as Paul said, put off concerning the former conversation, the old way you lived in the world. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You cannot truly come to Christ, hear him, believe on him, and follow him who alone by his death brings you to God except as he calls. As he calls. And when that takes place, he'll make you know no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. How many think to hold to Christ and the world all at the same time? Not going to end well. How many have all their desires all tied up in this world? We live in a day when people are so enamored with technologies. Can't even go. I've noticed you go into a waiting room, you can't even say hi, you're doing okay today? No, they're stuck in a phone. Their mind is completely taken up with these things. They can't get away from these things. They're stuck in front of a television. Day and night it's gone. Or in front of a computer constantly. Their minds are enamored with these things. They don't realize they're putting that which will help blot out what is true light and the truth of God. Those things can have a proper use. Boy, they become gods almost to people. That's what they look to. That's what they worship. That's what they serve. You seek most what you really want. True? True? what you really desire, what you want to and really delight in. That's what we seek. We make plans for what we want to do. And the Lord Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you find this straight gate... If you enter this straight gate, if you walk this narrow way, you have to go through crying, not I, but Christ liveth in me. <laughs> Myself left behind. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. None enter this straight gate. Do not even find this straight gate but those alone who are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. There are those who fool themselves, thinking a profession of faith, an intellectual decision, or engaging in religious ceremonies and the like. That's all they need. They assure themselves that they're okay. They give enough 
where they have a little bit of religion. The rest of it, no. That's their time. What they seek. They'd be better off if they didn't profess anything. Hello? That's still the way of the world. They think to end up in heaven because they can speak of God or they can pray the right prayer. We have a lot of that going on now. Just say this prayer. Just a little prayer and you're going to be saved. That's where we are. And you can go to heaven. Oh yeah, you, you can go to heaven when you die. You're going to die. We're going to die if the Lord tarries. And only those who've entered this straight gate, and only those who've walked this narrow path, are going to end in life eternal in the world to come. The way of life is too difficult for many not profession of religion but the way of life too difficult the love of the world too strong in the heart the carnal pleasures of this world the seeking of ease and worldly enjoyments still lead the love of the soul but again impossible to be on two ways at once to love the Lord and the ways of the world at the same time impossible because just as John says in his first epistle those who love the world the love of the Father is not in them No more is it possible to live unto God and to live for the world which things are opposed to each other than what the Lord said in Matthew 6, 24. No man can. Not that he shouldn't. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon they cannot is a word that means it's impossible to do so sad to say sad to say that we live in a time when churches even those professing to be quote evangelical some even claiming to believe what is called commonly the doctrines of grace have adopted massively into their so-called worship services the ways of the world. The ways of the world. The centrality of preaching, the constant declaring of the gospel of God's grace, the consistent exposition of the word of God, not enough for them. 
They're not satisfied. They want the many. They want the multitude. But the multitude's on the wrong path. The multitude's on the path that leads to destruction. They're like those, I fear, who in the desert tried. There's nothing but this manna before our eyes. God has given his wondrous truth, his word, his son. All that's needed for life and godliness by his wondrous grace and gift. How could those who have come to know the Lord of glory and come to delight in the word of the living God, come to seek it as their portion, their food, their drink, their water, How can they say, as did those in the wilderness, in despite, there's nothing but this manna before our eyes. We don't want just the manna. Although it was sweet, blessed, tasted like wafers made with honey and so forth, you could fix it in all kinds of different ways, but it was the same manna. But they didn't want it. We want the leeks, the onions. We want all these delightful things we have in, had in Egypt. It is incredible what they forgot about Egypt. But just remembered, oh, we had some delightful things there. Now there's nothing but this manna before our eyes. we got to supplement. we got to have more. Christ to most is not enough. There must be the entertaining delights of the world. Make you feel good. Lift your emotions. Not that I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. God help us. Let there be a return to this. Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in thee I find. God grant us to be among the few who find the straight gate and walk the narrow way. Do not listen to the Babel voices of religion. The way of the many. They go through the wide gate and walk the broad way that leads to destruction. Listen to the only voice that will direct you into the right way. The only way that leads to true, essential, eternal life. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate. And broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Listen to the only one who will be your best friend, your truest friend. Lord, are there few that be saved? He didn't say, well, let's sit down and talk about it. 
He looks at that one. He looks at the rest who are there. He says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Many are going to try to enter in when it's too late. God bless the ministry of his holy word. Someone has a hymn, we'll be happy to accommodate. You know what the best preaching does I found through the years? That which convicts the most that which shows us we we can't trust in this flesh in ourselves at all but only in the Lord of glory four forty one let's stand gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. To whom save thee? Who canst atone for sin? Atone, Lord, shall I flee? Thy praise not mine, O Christ,
there's a promise, a glorious promise God gives. To whom does that promise belong? We shall consider from the Word of God. I probably read a lot of my notes this afternoon because I'm still a bit tired. Um, weak, I think, maybe is the word, and uh, still regaining my strength. But I'm, I'm all right. I mean, I, <laughs> but uh, uh, still healing from the surgery. I should be about a month, I think. Said, the doctor says it should be completely healed. And six weeks. I'm not supposed to lift more than 10 pounds, so I can be lazy for six weeks, right? <laughs> the Lord is good. His word is solemn. How we need it. Jim, please dismiss us in prayer.